Welcome to Simplify. I'm Benjamin Stoller. And I'm Caitlin Schiller. So today we have Ayelet Waldman. Yes. Did I say it right? You did. Okay. Perfect. Ayelet. Ayelet. It's a and lovely name. It is a great name. And uh, why did you want to talk to her? So I wanted to talk to Ayelet Waldman because, well, there are a couple reasons. I heard about her new book that she released just a few months ago called A Really Good Day. And it's about how microdosing LSD uh, improved her mood, her marriage, her life, and her work, too. And I also wanted to talk to her because we know that Michael Pollan has a book on LSD. We know that that dudes write books about drugs sometimes. And I, I, I thought it was really interesting that this woman who um, is an author, a New York Times bestselling author, she writes fiction. She was a federal public defender. She was a professor at the UC Berkeley Law School. She is not the type of profile that I would first imagine to, to jump to microdosing LSD and doing an experiment on herself to figure out how it affected and improved her life. And I just loved the combination of person and story. So I wanted to hear directly from her how that was for her. And so what stood out? I mean, you guys covered a large range of topics, but what do you remember? The, the thing that really stood out for me is that um, people take psychedelic medications every day. People take antidepressants, mood stabilizers, without really investigating the repercussions for themselves. And they don't because they're prescribed by a doctor. That's really not that different from from taking LSD or experimenting with psilocybin. It's just that one comes from a doctor's prescription and, and one does not. But we don't know that much more about SSRIs than we do about LSD and psilocybin. What's SSRI? So uh, an SSRI is Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. And it's, it's used to treat major depression. So anyway, what what stood out to me was that that we don't know that much more about SSRIs that doctors prescribe for us than we do about psychedelic medications like LSD and psilocybin. And um, that kind of fascinated me. And we have two episodes this season about drugs. Yes. So are you interested in this right now or is this? uh... (laughs) I'm especially interested in enhancing my experiences. Um, Am I interested in this right now? I guess I guess I am to be honest. Um, We live in Berlin, right? And I took a psychedelic breathing course earlier this year, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And that made me curious about other psychedelic stuff. And I had friends who had tried mushrooms for the first time a couple of years ago and had these really interesting, uh, I don't know, insights about life. And I've been just sort of intrigued by all of it. Also, that that marijuana was recently legalized in Canada. It was in the news. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I guess I have been interested in these things, but they've also been sort of top of mind because of situational stuff, not because I'm going to go home and take a bunch of mushrooms tonight. Macro dose. (laughs) Macro dose. (laughs) No, but I think you told me the other day, I mean, there's also something about the effectiveness, right? Now, more and more research is being done. Uh, We actually have hard numbers. Mm -hmm. What did you say? Like LSD use is associated with... It, with a, a 36% drop 30, yeah. in suicidality among among people who are suicidal. That is vast. That 36%. Huge, yeah. yeah, that's do you know how many people that 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 actually would be in a year? That's mm. that's kind of amazing. And I mean, for me the story I I really like the personal story like you said, the sort of unexpected personal story of Ayelet Waldman. Yeah, so let's roll the tape. She's really funny and and tells a great story. So let's hear it. We'll be back at the end with a book list um in the section called The Bookend if you're unfamiliar with it, but I will make some recommendations and we'll be back to talk you down from this <laughs> psychedelic interview. All right, see you in a bit. Would you mind introducing yourself the way that you like to be introduced? My name is Ayelet Waldman. I'm a writer and a former criminal defense attorney. 
And I live in Berkeley, California with my husband and my four kids. And you recently tried, or maybe not so recently, but recently enough, tried an experiment with microdosing. What, what is microdosing? Could you, do you have a quick explainer that you like to give people? Yeah, I have a sort of one line. Microdosing is taking a small amount of a substance, uh, as amounts so small as to be sub-perceptual, but large enough to show metabolic effects um, in order to achieve some goal. So in my case, I was microdosing with a psychedelic drug, LSD, in order to um, combat depression and uh, suicidality. Right. And you wrote about this experience in your, your book, A Really Good Day. Yes. And you're, you're pretty open about really everything in this book. And you started out as a skeptic, not just a little bit of a skeptic, but, but someone with a substantial amount of, it seemed to me, fear also when it came to psychedelics. What were you worried about before you or when you first started to think about trying this out? You know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that I was a skeptic as much as I was terrified. Um, I'm I'm not old enough to have experienced the psychedelic boom of the 60s and 70s. I mean, you know, I think the first time I tried marijuana was well into the 80s, and it, those those drugs just weren't really that popular when I was younger. And what I knew about them, I knew from the media scaremongering. And even though I'd worked in the fields of drug policy reform, I hadn't managed to shed that um, that anxiety about psychedelic drugs. And as someone with a history of mental illness, it seemed to me that if anybody was likely to experience a terrifying bad trip that would cause long-term psychiatric consequences, it was going to be me. And I was just afraid. I was afraid, you know, I've had a bad trip in, you know, a Pilates class. I was really scared about what was going to happen to me. <laughs> I've had a bad trip in a hot yoga class. I totally get it. There you go. It can make you, it's like horrifying. We feel like you can't get out. It's never going to end. Like that seemed, <laughs> that seemed like exactly what was going to happen to me, but worse because it was all in my head. And there was a lot of stuff going on for you that, that even got you to this point. Yeah. What was, what was it that made you decide to jump in and and try microdosing. What got you to the point and what were you hoping to achieve? Um, desperation got me to the point. I was just at my wits end. I had tried everything that I could think of to make myself feel better. I'd been struggling with cyclical moods probably my whole life, but really noticeably since I started having children. Um, and that kind of hormonal ebb and flow is very hard on someone who's very who's reactive and my you know my brain is reactive to whatever is in its environment so if that's the hormones in my body it's reactive to that it's if it's external stress it's reactive to that and um i was going through the period of perimenopause which is that the that multi-year period right before you stop getting your period and my my brain was just not tolerating it very well. I had a very clear, effective system to handle my mood cycling up until that period. I was um, diagnosed with something called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's basically PMS on steroids. But it, there's a very clear treatment modality. I would keep very close track of my cycles. And then a week before I expected my period, when my mood boot began to drop, I would take a week of SSRIs. In my case, I took the SSRI Celexa. 
And that would eliminate that period of anxiety, anger, depression that I had been experiencing probably my whole life. And it was really effective and it was really wonderful. And I functioned very, very well for a very long time. And But then the thing about perimenopause is that you can no longer predict your periods with any kind of accuracy because sometimes you get, sometimes you have two periods in a single month. Sometimes there's 60 days between periods. And without being able to do that fine point prediction, I couldn't use this treatment system because I never knew when to start taking this Alexa. And things got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually I found myself staring at the contents of my medicine cabinet, wondering what would kill me most effectively. And that's a terrible place to be, especially if you're a parent. And I, you know, I tried every other kind of solution. None of them worked, or if they alleviated the depression, they did it at such a high cost from the point of view of, of side effects that it wasn't worth, it was, you know, it didn't equalize. And so I just, I've been reading a ton about microdosing. I've been reading a ton about the psychiatric benefits of various psychedelics, the research coming out of places like NYU, Johns Hopkins, uh, Imperial College in London was incredibly compelling about the utility of psychedelic drugs, specifically psilocybin, but also LSD in alleviating treatment resistant depression that I felt like I wanted to try it, but I was too scared to take a big dose. I was too scared to do one of those big on trips. So I thought, well, microdosing that, that sounds, that's more my speed. Um, so I decided to give it a 30 day trial run and see if it helped. Jump forward to the moment when you first tried it. What did it feel like? What was going through your head when you microdosed? And what did that look like exactly? Was it was it a strip or was it a pill? Well, it can look like a lot of things. Some people take, you know, a tab of acid, like a little piece of paper, usually printed with some cartoon character, and they cut it up into 10 little pieces. But in my case, I had received a bottle of diluted LSD. Um, it's usually diluted in distilled water. It was like a little cobalt blue bottle, and I took two drops under my tongue. And um, nothing happened at all. So I was <laughs> sitting there, and I thought, mm -hmm. well, I think I'm just going to go to work. So I sat down at my desk and started working, and working went well. It, you know, it's uh, it was fine. And then I looked up, and I looked out the window, and the dogwood tree, which was then in my yard, had burst into bloom. And I had this thought which wasn't like, oh, the flowers were taking flight from the tree. It was just, oh, look how beautiful the dogwood is in bloom. And it was an, an astonishing thought because up until that moment, and for probably close to a year previous, I had been all but anhedonic. If I understood and took in something beautiful, I wasn't able to appreciate it, but mostly I didn't even see it. I was so focused on my own misery that I couldn't appreciate the beauty around me. And that moment of understanding, appreciating, and taking pleasure in something beautiful was revelatory and revolutionary. And that's when I knew that this drug, this tiny quantity of a drug, could change my life. Okay. You know what I love to do before I try something new? Like a typical nerd, I research. And I usually do it by reading books. But if you've got a broad topic, like, say, microdosing, and you're not sure where to even start with it, there's an app for that. It's Blinkist. So 
Blinkist is an app that takes the key ideas from today's best-selling nonfiction books and transforms them into this super-condensed audio or text piece that takes just 15 minutes to finish. Blinkist is pretty awesome because it gets you familiarized with a high dose of expert knowledge super fast so you can hit the ground running. So, start your newest research project by giving Blinkist a try. Ben and I made it easy and free to do that. So just go to Blinkist.com slash friends, type in the voucher code micro, that's micro, M-I-C-R-O, and you will get 14 days of Blinkist for free. Okay, now back to my talk with Ayelet Waldman. I want to back up just a little bit. I got a slight bit ahead of myself. I was wondering if you started out so fearful, you did a lot of research, which is very clear from your book. It's just chock full of it. What was it that helped you feel safe enough to try this experiment? Well, you know, I'm a person who believes in science, and I'm a person who believes in the, you know, established scientific method. And there has been a tremendous amount of research done on LSD and psilocybin. And we also have this vast number, something like I think, I can't remember the number, but I feel like it's something like 20 million people in the United States have taken a psychedelic drug. So we have an anecdotal sense of the long-term effects of these drugs, at least in periodic large doses. So it was easy enough to assuage my fears. I mean, you know, what I always find so ironic is that so many people take psychiatric medications. They take SSRIs, they take other kinds of antidepressants, they take a mood stabilizer. And without any research being done, you know, without doing their own personal investigation of the science. And if you start to dig into the science, we really don't know that much more about SSRIs than we know about psychedelics. I mean, we we have these studies that have been done, but we there is not the same kind of long-term study that there are of other drugs. I mean, we're only getting into the point now where we can see people who've taken them for 20, 30 years. I mean, we don't even really understand the mechanism. We think we understand the mechanism, but when I talked to neuroscientists, our understanding of how the brain works changes all the time. And what we believe to be true right now may be completely different than what we believe to be true in 10 years. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing to me how, how very maligned psychedelic drugs are. Actually, you cite a journal of, I think it was Journal of Psychopharmacology study that proved that using psychedelics could produce something crazy, like a 19% reduced likelihood of psychological distress, and I think something like a 36% reduced likelihood of suicide in people who used it. And that seems, that's remarkable to me. I mean, so again, one study doesn't necessarily prove anything. It has to be replicated. But there is compelling evidence that psychedelic drugs are inversely correlated with suicidality, meaning that similarly situated individuals who take psychedelics are less likely to experience um, suicidal ideation or to attempt suicide than similarly situated adults who don't. I mean, that's I would like to see a lot more research to verify those results, but that's a pretty compelling result. And, you know, the the research coming now out of Johns Hopkins and UCLA Harbor and NYU bolsters that, that we, that there, these 
One or two psychedelic experiences seem incredibly effective at alleviating the terror and depression experienced by individuals specifically confronting the inevitability of their deaths due to fatal diseases. And that's that's astonishing. The idea that we have a medication that that seems to show that seems to have that effect and we're not, um, you know, every pharmaceutical company in the world isn't figuring out a way to monetize it is remarkable to me. Hmm. Yeah, and me too. There is a researcher with whom you had a lot of contact who's done a lot of work in the field of psychedelic research. That's James Fadiman. Um, it sounded kind of like he was your your psychedelic Sherpa yeah. in a way. Um, Jim is one of the most warm and loving people I've ever met. And he really helped me in this. So he was a psychedelic researcher in the 60s doing the kind of research they did back then, which was studying the drug. He was specifically interested in creativity. He was working in Stanford. He was bringing in all of these computer scientists and academics and uh, nascent entrepreneurs into his lab and um, having them work on intractable problems uh, under the influence of LSD and showing that um, many of them had insights into problems that had been resistant to them before, but under the under the influence of the LSD, they had these insights that then led to a solution to this problem they'd been working on for however long. Um, but so he was doing that research in the 60s and, and then continuing to work in all sorts of different other therapeutic fields. And then he started collecting uh, reports of individuals who had microdosed and to, and hundreds of reports and even more since my book came out. And it is research, right? But it's a particular kind of research because you don't know what people are taking. You're relying on their self-reports. The drugs are illegally obtained by and large. So they're very, it's very hard to know what you're taking if you get a drug illegally, unless it's, you know, a mushroom that you grow yourself. But even then the um, quantity of the drug is harder to determine. But he's been collecting and digesting and assimilating these reports for a while and has made some really interesting conclusions and is calling for more research, which I think is the most responsible way to approach this. It's you you take all this anecdotal evidence and you assimilate it and you document it and then you say, okay, here's here's an opportunity for more traditional scientific research to either prove or disprove what we seem to have found from this anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. It's good he was out there with the right with the right approach for you to feel like you could you could do this. I would never have done it if he hadn't talked to me. I mean, I, I don't think I would have felt safe enough. I mean, and he never encouraged me to do it. Let me be clear. He just said, this is what I found. This is what people are reporting. This is where you should what you should look at to determine the safety and efficacy. And, you know, I'm here if you have any more questions. When you decided to to give this a try, to give microdosing a try, you were in a place of desperation. What what specific areas were you hoping to see improvements in other than obviously just the sort of overarching, am I going to make it through the day? What what were you hoping would happen to your work, for example, and what did happen? Well, all I wanted was not to kill myself. That was really what I wanted. But there, there's a reason a lot of people seek out microdosing. And it's kind of the same reason that a lot of people take Adderall, right? They want to work better. They want to be more focused. And I found this, I, for me, it was a side effect because um, I was really, really focused on my depression. But on the other hand, it was remarkable to me how readily I fell into that state of flow. 
So flow is this kind of magical experience when you're creating, in my case, writing, where your ideas are coming out quickly, where you're putting them down on paper. It almost feels like you're channeling something. And of course, you're not. You're channeling your own mind. You're channeling your own thoughts. You're channeling your own sort of even subconscious in the sense. But it's I had only, I had experienced it before, but only at certain times under certain circumstances. And while microdosing, I seemed better able to just drop into it. So I would look up and I, you know, four hours had gone by and I had been working with a kind of incredible focus and intensity and pleasure that was unique in my experience or all but unique. You know, I'd had it a few times before, but only say at a writer's colony when I didn't have to think about my family and I was just focused on a novel and the novel was going really well. And I had never sort of had that experience sitting at my desk next to my kitchen. And that was really exciting. You know, I wrote the first draft of A Really Good Day in that month an entire first draft of a not, of a book and that book was it was a really complicated book it was a book i have, i often say that it's the book that lsd wrote not because it's trippy but because what psychedelics like lsd seem to do and again we're just learning what they do um, but they seem to do is allow different parts of your brain that don't normally communicate to communicate in unusual and novel ways. And this is a book about different things, all of which integrate in unusual and novel ways. So for example, it's a book about a microdosing experiment, but it's also a book about the history of psychedelic drugs. It's about the neurochemistry of psychedelic drugs. It's about the drug war. It's about um, my marriage. It's about my mental health and my family's history. And all of those things, you know, they seem very disparate. They seem unrelated. But I think that they braid together in a really, to create a really interesting whole, which is not a surprise if you think about the way LSD functions in your brain. But the fact that I wrote the first draft in a month... That's amazing. And you know, <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. How much do I wish I could do that now with a novel that's been kicking my ass for the past three years? Oh, man, I, I can only imagine. I, I did notice exactly that, actually. I noticed that the, the ways in which the disparate pieces of this story were weaved together was really different, but really comfortable. The The parts at which you you verge into speaking about the the, the war on drugs um, and then just back to your marriage and then all of a sudden I'll have an update on, you know, how you felt that morning. It was all very organic and felt really good and it kept me interested in the story. But at no point did I feel like anything didn't belong there. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes me feel really happy. I wanted to, to ask you, people... When they take macro doses of psychedelics, they tend to have these huge realizations about how they relate to the world, et cetera, et cetera. A friend of mine said that her takeaway is that there's a whole universe inside all of us, which sounds like something on someone on psychedelic drugs would say. It's so did interesting you have, because you those have a macro. Uh, no, I did not. I, I didn't have that. I mean, and I always think that those like. You know, those those reports of psychedelic insights sound so trite, but but if you actually think about them, they are deeply profound. They just sound trite because they see, you know, they seem they seem so familiar. But on the other hand, to really have some deep understanding of of your place in the universe is a profound and idea and experience. I did not have that. But what I can say is that I had perspective 
I, I was able to look at my life with a tiny bit of remove. I was able to um, have a little distance from the emotional experience that I was feeling in my body at any given moment. So the way that I had always felt about my emotions and my reactions was that everything was very conflated. So there would be a stimulus, say, let's take Twitter. There'd be a stimulus, a tweet that made me angry. There would be an emotion, anger, and there would be an action, say, lashing out on Twitter. But all of those things would happen almost simultaneously. So that before I knew it, I had read something, gotten pissed off, lashed out in a way that was stupid, um, you know, impulsive, problematic, All that happened right away and it led to lots of problems in my life. Now, what seemed to happen while I was microdosing was a kind of slowing down of that experience. So there would be the stimulus and I would read, say, the tweet, and then I would have the reaction and then I would think to myself, oh, you're feeling angry. That made you upset. Is it anger or is there a secondary, is that the secondary emotion? Is there something more, oh, you feel judged, you feel afraid, you feel uh, embarrassed, whatever, you feel shame. One of those primary emotions that, that actually, that anger just tends to be sort of a front for. And then I would have the impulse to say, reply with the angry tweet, but I would have a moment where I would say, What's going to result from that? Is that a wise thing to do? And so to the external eye, everything is happening at the same time. But internally, there was room. And that meant there was room for me to say, you don't need to send that tweet. That is revolutionary for someone like me who moves so quickly and whose impulses have gotten her into so much trouble. Just having that kind of space and just being able to like, remove yourself a tiny bit from your emotions and interrogate that to sort of think about the physical sensations um, is profound in terms of controlling your behavior, the behavior that is distressing to you. It makes the experience of being buffeted by emotion really different. It's the difference between acting on emotions in ways that ultimately cause you to feel regret and shame and not acting on the emotion. Because the truth is, you know, the emotion doesn't go away. You just understand it as an emotion rather than, you know, feeling it as a feeling as if it's some profound truth that you need to act on immediately. And that's what this, that's what I learned during that period of microdosing. That sounds like a really powerful lesson. It also it strikes me that that it it sounds like what the maybe one of the things that the experience with microdosing did for you is almost give you an ability to to parent yourself, to coach yourself through those tough moments. Right. I mean, yeah, to be your own coach, to be your own I guess parent is a good way to describe it. You know, it's interesting because insight doesn't equal I don't know what the word you'd use because cure isn't the right one, but so insight doesn't alleviate distress. You know, you could spend your whole life in therapy. This is why I have, you know, it's, it can be really interesting to spend five days a week in psychoanalysis and gain profound insight into the source of your distress, but it doesn't make you better. So insight is just the very first step. What ultimately I think individuals who suffer from, you know, that vast category we call mental illness, 
what you need to be able to do is translate that insight into a change in behavior. Because if you can say, if you can look at a mood, like a period of depression, and if when you're in it, you feel like you'll always be in it, and the only solution to not be in it anymore is to kill yourself, say, um, if you can look at a, a period of depression and you can say, this is a period of depression. Here are all the ways that my body experiences depression. Here are the thoughts that I have. It doesn't make those thoughts go away. It doesn't make your body stop feeling it, but it allows you to go through that period and know that there will be something on the other end, that even the most intractable depression will end. And it's the hopelessness, I think, and the feeling that you will, you have always been and will always be depressed, which is not a true thought. But it's that thought that, in, at least in my case, and I think in others, leads to the desire to commit suicide. Mm. And that sounds like a really good thing. I know you have a hard stop in about four minutes. Um, there are two things I want to ask you. One's really easy. One's a little bit harder. We'll start with the hard one. Is that, that cool? Great. Awesome. Uh, the hard one. And if you don't feel like you have a way to answer this, that's also totally fine. But if there's something that you wish people knew about psychedelics, if there's just one thing you want them to take away from having listened to this, what would you say? Well, it's not going to be what you think. I mean, the one thing that I want people to know is that um, anybody who tells you that a medication uh, practice is all good is a charlatan. There are risks associated with these drugs. For example, there is some very preliminary, probably not particularly trustworthy research out of Poland that seems to show there could be some heart damage associated with frequent use of psychedelic drugs. That that research has to be done in a way that, you know, 10 rats does not prove a study prove a, a problem. We need to have a larger study. We need to use um, animals, perhaps, or models that more closely resemble humans. Um, we need we need to, to, to re replicate that study in a way that is, uh, will give us a more accurate answer. But there's a possibility that that's true. Um, there's a possibility that long-term use of psychedelics could be damaging. And I want people to understand that um, just because the research doesn't show now any long-term detrimental effects doesn't mean that it's not going to. So everybody needs to think very hard of risk, about risk and reward before embarking on any kind of adventure like this. The other thing I want to say, and this is for mostly for the kids out there, is do not put anything in your mouth that you haven't tested yourself. Because what is available illegally is most is very rarely what you think you're getting. Somebody tells you you're taking Molly, you're not getting MDMA, you're taking most likely some kind of synthetic cannabinoid that might kill you. You don't know. So test your drugs. Whatever you put in your mouth, make sure that you've tested it. And you can buy your tests on amazon.com, by the way. <gasps> Amazing. So now the easy question. The, well, I hope you get a cut for that Amazon plug too. Uh -huh. um, the easy question, the easy question is, I, I well, you're a writer and... Um, and are around books a lot. I just, I always like to ask people what they've read lately that they've enjoyed. Oh, great. I, there's, I have some amazing books that I have enjoyed recently. First of all, if you haven't read Jane Gardam, 
I am so jealous of you because you have just the most delightful experience in store. Old Filth is a marvelous book. Everybody should read it right away. If you haven't read Lori Siegel, um, she is a tremendously underappreciated, magnificent writer who you should also read right away. And the last plug I'll give is for a book that just won the Pulitzer Prize, Less by Andrew Sean Greer. And um, if you want to not be depressed, this is this wonderful, delightful, beautifully written, hilariously funny book that um, is, it's just, it's scrumptious. I do not hear that word enough. (laughs) That's it. Great. Thanks so much for talking to me. Yeah, thank you so much. Nice talking to you. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. Hooray, books. All right. So. Confetti. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is there anything you want to sort of nail down from the interview? Like anything that people should really walk away with? Well, apart from what we apart from from what we talked about in the introduction, I think the other thing that's really interesting, the thing that was interesting to me anyway, about Ayelet's experience is how microdosing allowed her that little bit of space, that buffer time between having an emotional experience and reacting. And that's really what unlocked everything for her. For some people, meditation does that. Um, For others, you know, microdosing LSD does that. For still others, I'm sure there are other things. Like, what do you do to make sure that you don't fly off the handle? I had a coach. uh, This comes from Viktor Frankl, right? This is the, this, like, one way to think about this is from uh, Frankl's, um, it's like called like the pause, there's mm-hmm. a stimulus, mm-hmm. and then there's your reaction. Mm-hmm. But there's always a blank. There's always a space in between. Mm. And this, this, how you decide how you're going to respond, and you own that space. You own your response. And I think for me, it was really just drawing it down, drawing it on paper. <laughs> so my coach kept being like, "No, no, 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 no. Look, there's a stimulus, then there's a break, and then there's a whatever happens after that. So just give yourself that break. Like just let it sit there for a second, and then you can decide your reaction. I mean. You, and then you practice it. And I, I'm still not great at it, but I, but I, uh, for me, it was seeing it on paper, seeing like a straight line that stops. Then there's a little break mm-hmm. where you, the where the where the pause is, mm-hmm. and then it keeps going. And there's a reaction, and then you just see it on paper. And then I, for that, it clicked. Hmm, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Drown it out always helps. Big fan of that. <laughs> Big and, fan of diagrams. Pen and paper. <laughs> pen and paper. Who knew? Let's get into books. Cool. You got books. I, I got do. books. You start. I will. All right. So uh, the first book is actually another guest. is written by another guest on this season of Simplify. It's called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. It's by none other than Dan Harris. Um, Dan Harris. Who is Dan Harris? Dan Harris is so many things that it's it's like hard to list them all off. Um, he's a correspondent for ABC News. He's been an anchor for Nightline. He's a co-anchor for the weekend edition of Good Morning America. But most recently, he's been a meditation evangelist. Um, and he got into meditation because he had a little bit of a breakdown on TV, which he's totally comfortable talking about. It's what his, his meditation empire is based on. Um, And he didn't really want to meditate because he was, again, skeptical of it, hence this title. He wrote a book called 10% Happier about that journey into meditation and how it helped him um, focus, uh, get more in the flow more often, the way that Ayala talks about, and and do better work and have just a a better life and better relationships. It also helps him achieve that emotional space. Um, But he wrote this book, 
most recently called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. And it's a bunch of um, really practical exercises that you can do if you're a person who is a fidgety skeptic. You don't necessarily identify as a meditator. Um, There is a thing that he refers to as free range meditation, which is ways to just make things that you do in your everyday life into a meditation, like walking, like, um, you know, taking a pause for literally one minute and making that into your meditation moment. And it I was a little bit skeptical of it myself at first, but I read it and a lot of what he says makes sense. I, I'd recommend this one because I think it's a, it's a nice, his voice is also a nice compliment to Ayelitz. They're both very like funny, self-aware people mm-hmm. who are like, this isn't necessarily a thing I would always condone. And then I tried it and now I believe it. God damn it. Yeah. But in a really like approachable, warm way. So yeah, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, Dan Harris. Cool. Yeah. You, got, you got another one? I do. The other one is called Emotional Agility and it's by Susan David. The basic premise of this book is that we all have narratives about ourselves that we create for, you know, one reason or another. And maybe that's something like you're an extrovert and a shy reserve family. So you think you'll always be too much and unloved because you're off the wall. Um, And these distorted stories can make us emotionally really unhappy. And emotional agility is the ability to step back from the emotions and figure out what needs to change. Kind of like that space again. So this is two different ways to approach finding that emotional space that Ayala talks about. Um, yeah, LSD did it for her. Maybe this book could do it for you or meditation could do it for you. So these are just some options. And um, can I say my, my Please. book? Please, yes. Because mine, mine is similar in that it involves self-awareness, involves sort of approaches or names and approach. But uh, it's less about self-improvement, I would say, and more a little a little more academic. Um, it's called Flow. It's by Mihai Cheek Sent Mihai. And, so uh, good the name yes. everyone everyone loves the name everyone loves the name because it's really hard to say and you just did a great job thanks mm-hmm. and uh i feel like if you listen to podcasts you know how to say it because uh, re- he's referred to so much yeah anyway if, if you listen to ben you know how to say it because he's written it out phonetically also that the- <laughs> i'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess that up on on mike what are you nuts mihai chick sent mihai all day flow the book flow is about how to get into that state of flow where time flies and you have your highest folk the highest focus you can and you just all of a sudden you realize it's time to go home. I did an amazing day's work. Why is that? And the answer is flow comes from the right mix of challenge. So you're not doing super easy stuff and you don't get bored and novelty. So you're not just doing the same stuff all the time. Yeah. What happens is when you're in a state of flow, your brain creates new connections and it's, and it's sort of confronted by the right amount of new connections to deal with. Um, and it's just a great feeling. And uh, it's sort of like the runner's high for your mind, you know? So what I love about this is it requires some self-awareness, which is something you and Waldman talked about a lot in the interview. You have to know yourself, have to sort of be aware, is this too easy for me? Is this too hard? Is this the right amount? You have to set it up. And the result is not you channeling something. It's not otherworldly. It's you. You've just set up the structures to succeed. You've mm-hmm. set up the structures to, to be the best you. Um, You've set up a channel for yourself, essentially. Yeah. Mm. So that's it. Like that, I think I think flow is a super important concept, super important book. Um, it's pretty much been a. I feel like it's been swallowed into almost every sort of self transformation, self help book now. Sure. Um, but this is sort of the basics. So check it out. Mihai Cheeks Cheek sent Mihai. Cool. Great. I like that we have three book recommendations that have nothing at all to do with drugs. Yeah. Because. Actually, kind this of experiment, about. yeah, this experiment that Ayala did wasn't about drugs. It was about finding a way to to access the better self, yeah. which is what meditation does, and and learning more about your own emotions does, and you know, figuring out how to get yourself into flow does. 
Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Taking it home. Today's episode of Simplify was produced by me, Ben Schumann Stoller, Caitlin Schiller, Nat Doroshkina, and Ben Jackson, who wanted us to tell you you should be very careful about these smart home door locks. Uh, he reminds you that there is no perfect home security system. Remember. <laughs> yes. He just wanted me to he just wanted us to, to share that. Good. Good. I, I mean, I was thinking of buying a dog for that purpose. But That's great. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a finance, you know, like an investment portfolio. You want to have a, you want to have a diverse portfolio. Yeah. You know, don't rely on like a system that reads your retinas. Definitely not. Big mean dog, retina reading system, nosy neighbor. Uh, locks and keys. Also that. You know. Cool. So, um, if you enjoyed this episode of Simplify, awesome. Send it to somebody you like. Please do it. Somebody who is interested in microdosing or not. We have plenty of other episodes. We have four other whole seasons of Simplify that you can recommend and listen to. So send somebody you like to listen to an episode. You can reach out to me at, at Caitlin Schiller on Twitter and Ben at Bisto on Twitter. You can also reach the whole podcast crew at Blinkist by emailing podcast at Blinkist.com. We love to hear your feedback. Yeah, like tweet or email Caitlin or I about Blinkist. We'd be happy to field your questions or let us know your story about microdosing all right so that's it for this episode and we will be back next week talk with you soon all right this is ben checking out checking out